Start it again. All right, our grace period is good. It's a beautiful day outside. I think that's why everybody's got some energy today, huh? You didn't get it all worked out yesterday afternoon outside? I think today's going to be a nice one too. So Great to see everybody. All right, well, we're going to be back in 1 John today. Continuing that series. And before we do, let's open up in prayer and then we'll get started. So, Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for um, the privilege, opportunity, and just honor it is to come to your house today, be amongst fellow Christians, open up your word. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful weather and just the ability to enjoy uh, being outside, um, kind of re- get renewed for our Get ready for spring as it's uh, fastly coming upon us and the Easter season. And Lord, again, as we uh, just come together and while we're not taking uh, time for prayer requests, Lord, I know of several uh, situations and needs that are out there. You know them all. You know every single request that uh, uh, and need that is in this room or that uh, our, our members that aren't with us even. Lord, we just lift all of those up to you. We lay them at your feet. We ask that you work as your will will be done, and, and uh, we ask um, that uh, you help us in accepting that will and, and uh, giving you the honor and glory and seeing how you work in these uh, situations. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we just ask you be with us. And just allow it to speak to each one of us individually. That we can get something from this lesson that we can take with us. That we can take and uh, it would set on our mind Monday through Friday as we uh, go back to work. As we go back into the world. That we may uh, use this to not only be in the world but be separate from it. And to, to uh, just the ability to concentrate on you. To grow to uh, a closer relationship to grow our love towards you even greater we pray all this in Jesus' name amen all right first john chapter five we're going to read just a few verses today i'm going to start reading in verse 13 and the bible says in verse 13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Verse 16, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. 
So as we start off these verses, we've got a couple of different topics we'll talk about this morning, but I kind of start off by kind of reflecting on the uncertainties of our world and our life currently. I mean, my goodness, if you watch the news at all, what's the uncertainties out there? Out there? We got, you know, we're beefing with Russia, we're beefing with China, who, who else we... We got a beef. We got a beef with a lot of folks, don't we? And you never know. We don't know if, if uh, I mean, for the first time in uh, what since the mid '80s, the whole nuclear uh, war possibility thing has kind of elevated over the last what year? Ever since Russia and the Ukraine thing started. I mean, I remember in the '80s actually worrying about that, you know. And now my grandkids are having to kind of see that same discussion come up again. It's an uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. North Korea has them, and they're always, you know, kind of saber-rattling. Finances. I mean, look at, if you got a 401k or you got retirement, then you're getting close to that point, and you're watching your, your retirement. You know of some uncertainty out there, isn't it? I mean, you don't know from day to day what's going to happen. There's just, with the national debt, I mean, how long can that continue? I mean, there's just all these uncertainties out there. That's what we live in, a world of uncertainties. And that's what, when you're lost, and that's all you have, and all you see, and all you stake your belief in or all these uncertainties of life I mean it's no wonder that we have so much mental health issues out there now but for Christians we live in a world where we have a faith that is certain right look at verse 13 John is telling us he wrote this entire letter and in the last chapter Halfway through the last chapter, he's telling us why he wrote the letter. He's finally, he's going to actually tell us at this point. He says, these things have I written unto you, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Remember, he wrote this letter to a church. The church was having people, uh, had a group within the church that started believing heresies, was teaching heretical views in regards to Christ, whether he was deity or whether he was fully man or fully deity or he was spirit, not man. I mean, we've been kind of talked about those. And for the folks during at that church, it was uncertain. Even some of the Christians in the church started to question their faith, causing them to kind of, when they start questioning, now they have that uncertainty. And John is like saying, no, I wrote this letter to you so that you will be certain. You'll be certain. If, if, if you have the proper doctrine and the proper belief, know that if you believe on the name of the Son of God, continue in the verse, ye may know that you have eternal life. You may know it. It's certain. You can stake on it. It's not going to change. You, that you may know that God, the only qualification 
that John gives us for eternal life is that ye may know and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He's saying if you believe, if you have faith, you have eternal life. That's it. That's the only condition John gives us at this point. He, he didn't say, well, if you believe on the name of the Son of God and you're a part of the church consistently, then you have eternal life. He didn't say that. Should you be a part of a church? Yeah. But he didn't say that. The only condition is belief. He didn't say, well, if you believe on the name of the Son of God and you get baptized, then you have eternal life. Should you get baptized? Yeah. But that's not a condition of eternal life. He didn't say, well, if you believe on the name of the Son of God and you do good works and you're nice to people. He didn't say that. The only condition of eternal life is that you believe. We, he's, he's combating these heretical teachings that are coming into this church where even during this time you had some of, of the teachings that were saying, no, you have to have good works with it or, or the good works is what gives you eternal life. And he's saying, no, that's not a part of it. Those who have believed do not have to merely hope, think, or try to have eternal life at this point. You can know. It is certain. You have eternal life. Now we talked last week. Remember that point where you were first saved? You remember that point? And I think each of us, if we stop and kind of ponder on that moment, you can go back to that. And we talked about remembering that, that, that feeling, that, that conviction from the Holy Spirit. Well, John tells us also in this that those who have already believed in the past, that they are to continue to believe on Christ in the present. What we're saying here is don't let the fact that you were saved 20, 30, 40 years ago dampen the feeling and the conviction that you have today. Sometimes we have a tendency to over time kind of minimize the impact of things. I mean, I remember, of course, 9-11, and it's hard to believe that was what, like 20 years ago, 22 years ago? It's crazy. But you remember right after that, we were willing to go through all of those uh, steps that it took to kind of make society a little bit safer. You know, they, going to an airport was never the same, right? Never the same. And now we get kind of irritated about it because we forgot the impact that that had on us that day. Some that are even alive today didn't, weren't even here then. And so they don't need understand that impact. Um, if you were saved 30 years ago, you kind of lose that feeling, or I hope you don't, but it, it can happen. It can happen. Life gets busy and you kind of forget that conviction that the Holy Spirit had on you and the time kind of draws and lengthens and then you start to question. Some things in life come through and now you start to question, well, was I really saved? And John's saying, no, don't let that come into your head. He's saying, that ye may know. 
Don't let that happen to you. The continued faith in Christ is also the secret to victory over the world. Remember back in uh, the first of chapter 4, we taught a couple of weeks ago, uh, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to overcome all that? junk that's out there believeth on Jesus and when you have that as soon as you have that relationship with him guess what you've already won you've already won and I mentioned even then you know as we continue um, through our lessons we're going to get to a point to where we're going to start teaching in Revelation and guess what we win you've overcome everything He's overcometh everything, and you get to have that through him. You have that victory, and all you have to do is believe. And you overcometh the world. So when you're out there fighting, or you're out there seeing things and experiencing things, and bad subst- or situations come into, in, uh, through your life or through others' lives, and you see the impact, in the end, you win. In the end, he didn't say that through that it wasn't going to be difficult at times, right? But in the end, you win. Galatians 3.3 says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, and ye now made perfect by the flesh? He's saying, you remember Back to last week a little bit. Remember that feeling. You were saved by the Spirit. And now you just go back to the flesh. No, remember that point. Remember that dependency that you had on the Holy Spirit. And that point to where you, you submitted yourself to that calling. And remember that point. And when you remember that and that feeling and the conviction of it, rest assured. You can have assurance. It's a complete salvation. Now verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We can know that when we pray, but this is the key part, When we pray according to his will, that he will hear and that he will grant our requests. Misunderstanding the promise of this passage, some Christians do not even bother to pray. Assuming that because God will only do his predetermined will, anyway, their prayers will not change anything. So, well, what's the point in praying if every, he's already predetermined uh, everything? Then what's the point? No, he wants. He's commanded us to bring our petitions before him, right? And he's promised us that he listens and he hears that. When you pray to his will. So some of the things you may bring to him through prayer may not be his will. Then what? Hopefully through study and continued prayer, you become to recognize 
that, maybe recognize the, the fact that, okay, if this isn't his will, he's got another will for me, and I accept that. I accept that. Maybe that other will is greater than what I'm even asking him for. I remember over the years, uh, uh, especially some, some of the years at the, at the PD, I mean, they, that, those were some challenging years. And I remember specifically praying at times uh, for uh, some relief in situations, and it didn't seem to occur, so my mind immediately went to not, well, you know, he just doesn't want me to be happy putting me through these things. That really wasn't what I thought. What I thought was, my goodness, if, if this is what he wants me to go through because he's got something better for me, I can't wait to see that what's better for me thing because if it's better than, man, it must be something. I can't wait. Um, sometimes we, he just wants us to be tried and tested and, and, and purified in that regard. Verse 16, if any man see his brother sin. Now this one is an interesting verse. This is kind of where I wanted to spend most of the time. This is an interesting verse. And he's talking to us uh, first off about, uh, he says, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, then he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. What John is saying, first off, tie it back to the previous verse, is he's saying pray for a brother or sister that you see struggling. We talked earlier in this book, uh, John mentions it several times, that one of the tests of having assurance of your faith is that you love the brethren. I mean, we're family, so we should love each other, right? And if you love each other, then you should want to pray for them when you see something going on in their lives or they're struggling or you see sin coming into their lives. Pray for them. John's specifically pulling that out of here. He's saying pray for a brother that you see sinning. And we're all sinners, right? So pray for everyone. Continue to pray for us all. You know, I think one of the ways that we can be of value, sometimes it, you know, it, it's great when we can humble ourselves and I can go to another brother and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area, will you pray for me? And that, that brother is like, yeah, yeah, I will, I'll pray for you. And you have somebody that you can confide in with those things. But sometimes we're just not willing to humble ourselves enough to do that. But do, do we not know because we're family, something's wrong in somebody? That somebody's struggling with something or they seem to be struggling with something. Pray for them anyway. If you don't know what the specific thing is, that's okay. That's okay. Just lift it to God and let him kind of work. I think sometimes we kind of wait, well, if he's not willing to open up to me, then, you know, he's going to have... What? That doesn't mean you can't pray for him. If, if, if you see somebody struggling, step up and pray for him. Pray for him. And notice what John says here, though. 
He says, if they're sinning a sin not unto death. This is interesting. This is interesting. A sin unto death. What's John talking about? And he kind of goes on in the verse. He says, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. And he shall give him life for them that sin, that sin not unto death. He's saying, just because you see a brother sinning, pray for them that they should uh, renew their fellowship with God, right? But then John continues. He said, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. You know, John actually tells us here, if you see a brother or a sister sinning a sin unto death, you're not to pray for them. So what's a sin unto death? Good question. Some of that, and I think in this case, we can't be too dogmatic about. But through the study that I, that I did, um, I feel like there's one position that's more right than maybe the other. But I'll go ahead and mention both of them to you, and, and uh, we'll both find out what the truth is when we get to heaven, I guess. But some feel like this sin unto death is the unpardonable sin. That unpardonable sin, which is what? Uh, grieving the Holy Spirit, rejecting the Holy Spirit. That if you uh, reject the Holy Spirit, then you're not saved because you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. So that's an unpardonable sin. Well, that sin is committed by a non-believer, right? Is John writing this book to non-believers? No. Can a believer commit the unpardonable sin? I don't necessarily believe that to be the case because if you are rejecting the Holy Spirit, then um, you were never saved, if you will, right? What John is referring to, what I believe he's referring to in this, is what he calls the sin unto death. And that's a sin that only a believer can commit. And what is, so what is it? Let me get to the right page here. There is a line of sin which can cross over where we have so shamed the testimony of Christ and his church where we have so long rejected the convicting and chastening ministry of God, where we have become so hardened toward repentance that God will call his child home. So, you're, now did he say you lose your salvation? No, don't lose your salvation. Matter of fact, he says that God will bring his child home. You have something going on in your life that is just so pervasive of a sin and you come to this church every, every time uh, we have services available and you hear convicting preaching from the Word of God, right? Hear truth preached from the Word of God and you continually just continue to reject reject and reject and you just outwardly 
continue your sin. There reaches a point to where God says, you know what? As a, we are all testimonies to not only, um, as a believer, we're a testimony to Christ, right? To other non-believers. And are, you're a testimony of Central Baptist Church as well. And God can reach a point to where he says, you know what, you're doing so much damage to my ministry. And non-believers just continue to witness your sin, and that's keeping them from believing in me. And you're hurting the testimony of the church that, you know what, I'm just going to call you home. And that's a sin unto death. Merrill Unger writes this, There is a sin unto death, and this is persistent, willful sinning in a believer, in which the flesh is destroyed, meaning physical death, so that the spirit might be saved. That's perfect definition, I think, of what we're talking about here. A sin unto death. You say, well, you know, is that, where, where do you see that at? Flip over to 1 Corinthians. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I guess time changes next week already, huh? Do you know, is, it, is it next week or the week after? Next week. My goodness. I was just looking at the clock. That made me think that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. My brain works like that. Squirrel. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 1 starts off, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as, it, as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye have puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What do we have here? We have a Corinthian believer who was living in a very... Uh, What word am I looking for? Just a very uh, sinful life, a lustful life. And Paul's warning that if, he, if this person doesn't repent and get right, that he's living outwardly this way. He's coming to this church. He's coming to the Corinthian church. And Paul's writing to this church saying, this member among you 
needs to get right, or he, uh, Paul's warning that his flesh would be destroyed, yes, but his spirit be saved. He's given a, a warning of the sin unto death. He's saying you're getting close. Now, do any of us know where that line is? No. No. Really, none of us do. But there's a line. God warns us about it. Paul's warning us about it. John's warning us about it. Let's get another example real quick. Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, five verse 1. But a certain na- uh, man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. I mean, you think, really? That would would get your attention, wouldn't it? I mean, we have two folks here. They're Christian people. They're a part of the church. And after selling some land, they owned, owed their portion to God, right? They didn't quite give the full portion of what was God's back to God. And they confronted them saying, you know, you realize you're not lying to us. You're lying to God because that was his to begin with. And he knows. And they're saying, you know, you're, that's, that's not a small thing, right? And they reached that point where God said, I, I can't allow them to continue in this way. What example does it set in the church? For them to outwardly do this to the point that people know about it, and I, uh, I, Scripture doesn't say this, but I'm going to guess this isn't the first time. 
I don't see that when, when uh, through Scripture that, that God, I mean, He gives I mean, grace and mercy, grace and mercy. And, but He's going to reach a point where He says, enough's enough. It's God. And that's not for us to go, well, can I have one more time? I'll do it right next time. That's what my grandkids do, right? Or my kids when they were younger. Just one more time. God says, you, you've reached the limit. You know, I've, I've been talking to you about this through the Holy Spirit. You're, you're rejecting that, that call. I had folks confront you about it, and you rejected their call. So I'm just going to call you home. Now again, did they lose their salvation? No. But he called them home so as not to ruin the testimony of the church. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, flip around a little bit, it's okay, right? Verse 16. Bible says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, he shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Verse 15. I'm sorry. No, chapter 6, verse 15. A couple pages over. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body for two, saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, or excuse me, temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in ye, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Corinthian believers uh, in this case were, uh, who were becoming involved with prostitution were in danger of committing this sin unto death. And Paul's kind of warning them of that. And then lastly, if we go over to chapter 11, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many sleep. Many are dead. These Corinthian believers who are, were defiling and eating unworthily of the Lord's supper, 
committed this sin unto death. Um, anytime we schedule the Lord's Supper, I mean, pastor's very careful about doing that. And we have time prior to partaking where you have time to get right with God of sin that's in your life. Um, don't think uh, he does that haphazardly, right? That's a big deal. God put it in here for a reason to kind of to show it. This is a, this is a serious uh, deal. You need to take it seriously. Get right with him before partaking of the Lord's Supper. Unfortunately, we have some Christians who take the phrases, you know, once saved, always saved. And that's, we believe that, but they take that and then they, they twist it. Uh, we have some who presume upon God's grace or assumes grace and eternal security as a license to sin. Not understanding what scripture teaches concerning their chastening or concerning the sin unto death. And that that's a real, a real thing that, that John, Paul, warn us about. Don't get to that point to where he just brings you home because you're no, you serve no other purpose in his ministry other than as a bad example. And too many times when you're out uh, on... Uh, visitations you hear well you know um well how about you know we want to invite you to central baptist well, i used to go there oh man we'd love for you to come back now you know i know some people that go there and they just they're i mean they just live bad lives well yeah um we're all sinners um and and we're all a work in progress right but some this is what he's warning of. If you live this flagrant, notice specifically the warnings in Scripture come around the area of fornication and lust. If you live this, this, neg this sinful life outwardly, for everybody there comes a point to where God says enough. God says enough. And John is even warning us about that in his letter. And he's warning those church members. I'm warning you. Take this seriously. God says, pray to me and I hear you. And I want to give things to you that are good and that are within my will. But don't twist it. Don't twist it. And I know, um, you know, sometimes we pray and you don't get an answer. Or the answer that you're looking for. I was talking to Mark earlier. I think one of the comments I, I said was, sometimes we all get put in a situation to where, you know, I've sat and uh, been saved since I was a, a young kid and sat for 10 years under preaching at this church. And not everything is, has been applicable to me in, in, in my life at that point. But sometimes God puts us in a position where, you know what, now that's applicable and I've got to pull that out and I'm, I'm tested on it. Did I really believe it when I heard it? Well, I'm about to find out.
I'm about to find out because I, you know, there might be a trial that comes comes through us. So we gotta we gotta live what we say we believe, right? And John's kind of reminding the the people in that church that. You know, you're going to have people come and go. You're going to be put through trials. You're going to be put through these situations. Just continue to know that all you got to do is believe and your faith is solid. And then continue to believe. Continue to talk to God. Have that fellowship with Him. But don't, don't push Him. Don't assume continued fellowship. So... We'll continue and I think maybe finish up in 1 John next week, depending on if you're down in my class or here with Brother Lynn. So let's pray. We'll end our Sunday school hour and get ready for services. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the lesson this morning. Just the, the uh, reassurance that our salvation is, uh, is real um, and that all it was was a belief towards you. Not in some other work or some other um, action. No, we just have to believe on you as the Son of God. And then call upon your name. And then once that salvation immediately takes place, we're sealed. We're sealed for eternity with with eternal life and, and a relationship with you that now because we have that sin um, taken care of through your sacrifice on the cross that now we're able to come to you and pray and ask for uh, petitions and things that uh, uh, we might want to see in our lives or pray for a brother that might be struggling or a sister that might be struggling. You've called us to do those things. And lastly, as we finished up the lesson, Lord, uh, I pray for, for all of us here that uh, we wouldn't take for granted your grace and your mercy and that we would uh, get right any sin that might be in our lives and that we would uh, just use the, the lessons from Scripture as a cautionary tale so that we too don't have to experience those, uh, that sin unto death. Dearly fathers, we get ready for uh, worship services. I ask that uh, you uh, put the last minute uh, uh, assistance on pastor, that he would uh, be indwelled with your spirit to be able to speak what you would want to be spoken, and that we would gain from it what you would want us to gain. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, very good.